Welcome to Large Group. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. And um, man, one of my favorite parts about Tuesday nights uh, is singing with you and uh, hearing your voices. And uh, it's just so encouraging. No matter where you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we're really glad that you're here and we want you to feel welcome here. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship and we're one of the many campus ministries here on campus trying to walk alongside you during these formative years of college here at, at Wofford. And um, if RUF, uh, we'd love to have you here. If it's not sticking for you, there's a lot of campus ministries on campus who are trying to help you walk in your faith. Rev. Ron is around. Uh, Kirk uh, has things going on. Campus Outreach and many others are around. And we want to be, uh, we want to serve you and help you walk along Side Jesus during your time here. This fall, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus. And what we've seen is that the parables were stories that Jesus told in his life and ministry when he was here on earth. And he would tell these stories to frustrate people, like intentionally, to disrupt our categories and our uh, understanding of what the kingdom of God is. But he would tell these stories to sort of to show us what it meant to follow him in a fallen world. And what we're looking at tonight is we're actually going to look at a parable, two parables about treasure. Two parables about treasure. So uh, Ivy and I have become huge fans of the Great British Baking Show on Netflix. And (laughs) Ivy and I started watching it a few years ago. We were watching it in seminary years in St. Louis and, and loved it and if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. And uh, what happened, Ivy and I, uh, this past Sunday night, we finished the last episode of the most recent season. And guys, I was undone by this. I, when we finished, I was so sad. I felt like I was saying goodbye to so many of my closest friends. Um, and it was so. And I was thinking to myself, it's like Matt, why are you so you know emotional guy, etc. But um, why are you so invested and so upset by a cooking competition show coming to a close? And I'm sure like a therapist could tell me uh, all kinds of reasons why I was upset by this. But um, I think what what's going on very simply is that Ivy and I had so much fun and so much joy watching the show together and it came to an end and I did not want it to end. I didn't want it to end. And if you have experienced this, with the show, then you know what I'm saying if you're up to speed. And don't worry, I'm not going to... Who, raise your hand if you've seen the show or know what I'm talking about. Okay, great. Um, if you haven't seen the show, you've experienced this when a sh- your favorite show comes to an end. You've also experienced it when you've eaten an incredible meal with people you love. You're at a restaurant, you're in someone's home you love, you finish the entree, you finish the dessert. And this moment, this experience is ending. It's ending, and you don't want it to end... It's like going on a date with a boyfriend or girlfriend, and it's anticipated. You've been looking forward to this, and you don't want it to end, but it ends. And I think this is also what's going on um, when we peruse, like, you know, speaking personally, uh, maybe, but when I'm watching endless sort of YouTube videos of SNL uh, sort of clips or old LeBron highlights or looking at you know, endlessly searching through J. Crew's website on like the perfect jacket that's going to complete my heart. Um, I, I just, I want joy and happiness 
and I want it to last. I want joy to last. I don't want it to go away. I don't want it to fade away. And so we're going to ask this question, a couple questions going to guide our time. Is it possible to experience real lasting joy and happiness in the Christian life? Is that kind of experience even possible? And if it is, how do you get it? How do you experience it? Because tonight what we're going to see is that Jesus is saying, y'all, full disclosure, Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the treasure that will last. The joy, the happiness that will last. I'm going to read the text now. You can follow along in your Bible or in your handout if you have it in front of you. And friends, this is God's word. He has spoken to us because he's not silent and he hasn't given us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then... In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do give thanks to you for your word. It's living and active. And Lord, we've experienced this this semester and we've experienced this because you are living and active and you, in ways we don't even know how to talk about, you change us when um, your word does work on our hearts. And Lord, we walk into this room. Many of us are excited to be here. Um, Many of us are confused about who you are and what Christianity is about. Many of us are frustrated spiritually and bored spiritually. Um, Lord, we have exams on our minds. We have hard conversations on our minds. We have doubts. We have shame and sin on our minds. Lord, I pray that you would slow us down just for a few moments as we look at your word. Lord, that we might be changed from the inside out, that we would actually become more like Jesus during this time that he would be made much of. We ask this in his name. Amen. So how do we get lasting joy? How do we experience Jesus as our treasure? We need three things, and you have the game plan in your handout. First, we need open eyes. Second, we need deepened desires. And third, uh, we need melted hearts. And one of my friends uh, who helped me uh, in this sermon a lot, uh, Chase and, uh, and Matt at other schools, other RUF campus ministers, they uh, as I was thinking through this outline, it sounds a lot like Coach Taylor in Friday Night Lights, his phrase. Um, what is it? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Um, so uh, as one of my friends said, uh, Coach Taylor stole that from Jesus. But anyway, so opened eyes. We need open eyes. Jesus tells these two little stories. There's a lot going on in just these two stories. The first guy Jesus describes is a man who's walking in a field, comes across a treasure. Second guy describes a man in search for a pearl, and he's going to markets. He would have been a pearl merchant. This is just what he did. He went to different kinds of markets, and he stumbles upon sheer beauty, a a pearl so beautiful it's unspeakable, and he finds it. He finds it. He finds lasting joy. 
and it starts to animate his desires and his actions. But here's what I want you to see. Did you notice this? That both these stories are kind of mundane. They find treasure in often overlooked places. They find treasure in ordinary, mundane, and overlooked places in an ordinary field, in an ordinary market. How do they find this? How did they experience this lasting joy? They had eyes to see it. They had eyes to see it. Their eyes were open because thousands of people walked on and passed this field. But our man in this parable sees it. Hundreds of pearl merchants walked past this booth, but our man in this parable sees it. He sees the pearl, this beauty, this lasting joy right in front of his face. It was so easy to miss. There's a movie that came out uh, probably 10 years ago. It's called The Soloist and tells the story about a journalist living in Los Angeles named Steve Lopez and Robert Downey Jr. plays Steve Lopez and he's kind of at this midlife crisis. His marriage is falling apart. His journalistic career is really kind of on cruise control, but really going downhill. He's looking for a story that would be compelling and he's walking on an LA street that's really busy one day and he hears music. And he starts to find, he wants to follow the music. And eventually he comes across um, a homeless, disgusting, frankly looking uh, homeless man playing the cello. He's playing it beautifully. And it turns out this homeless man, uh, this cello player is Nathaniel Ayers, who's a former Juilliard School of Music uh, student who became homeless, drops out because he was schizophrenic. And he has all these mental illness issues. So every day, and this, this uh, Nathaniel Ayers, the character, is played by Jamie Foxx. Like, this movie is so, fa- so fantastic. you got to watch it. But every day, what I want you to see is that thousands of people walked past Nathaniel Ayers. And they heard him play. And they, start, they, they heard him. They saw him. They walked past him, not realizing that a musical prodigy was right in front of their faces. Like, you, not everyone, like, no one gets into Juilliard. And he's right there playing right in front of our eyes. If we are to experience Jesus as treasure, our eyes have to be open because we'll miss him. We'll miss him. If you're here tonight and you call yourself a Christian and maybe you've grown up in church and you've sang Sunday school songs, you know the Sunday school answers. And so far in college, you've gone through the motions. You go to church, you go to RUF, you read your Bible and pray. But if we slow down and we're honest, you're spiritually bored. And I don't say that to shame you. I say that let's just get honest. Like many of us, this is all we've ever known, and we're spiritually bored. We're bored with Jesus, and everything around us, frankly, seems more exciting. And if there's ever a four-year period that's going to put exciting things in front of your face, it's these four years. And here's the thing. I mean, I, you know, studying abroad is more exciting than Jesus. It is more exciting. Finding the perfect internship this summer seems more appealing than Jesus. Experimenting and trying new things on the weekends seems more exciting than Jesus because they actually are more exciting than Jesus. Here's what I mean is Isaiah 53 says that Jesus had no earthly majesty, And nothing 
in terms of Jesus's appearance and lifestyle would have been attractive. Wrote hundreds of years before Jesus even came into the world. Jesus lived a normal, mundane life. He was easy to miss. My friend uh, Matt Howell says it this way, Jesus was a homeless peasant who wandered around a Middle Eastern region 2,000 years ago. He left the glory of heaven and came to serve people, feed people, wash people's feet, and hang out with people who don't have any friends. He is not glamorous. He's easy to miss. His life was so mundane and ordinary. The beauty of Jesus... Uh, according to one of my friends, says it so well that that the one who has all the exclamation points sets them aside, comes humbly and simply and ordinarily into this life and serves boringly and dies shamefully and says to you and to me, I love you. The beauty of the gospel, the kingdom of God, of Jesus, is its simplicity. I love you. I forgive you. I give my life for you. It is just relentlessly simple. If you've been around the Bible long enough, it might just get boring. We have to have our eyes open to see the beauty and joy and treasure that Jesus is. Guys, if you find yourself bored with Jesus, I I just want to, to gently encourage you to look at him again. Look at him again. Because he's easy to miss even as we go through the religious motions with lots of God talk and lots of Bible talk. But the treasure is right in front of our eyes. If you're here tonight and you don't really know where you stand with Christianity, maybe you have theological questions or you've been hurt by Christians, you're suspicious, you like Jesus, you don't like his church, right? A lot of people say this. I want to gently invite you to look at Jesus again as well. Your pain and your doubts and your questions are real. They're real. Um, And I would love to process whatever those are with you if you would like for me to do that. I, I don't want those questions and those doubts and those hurts to distract you from the simplicity of the good news of Jesus, who is the central character of this whole deal. Cross and resurrection, dying and rising for you. Look to Jesus, look on him. Because to find him beautiful, to find him to be our treasure, we have to have open eyes, but we also have to have deepened desires. Deepened desires. Do you notice how these two men reacted once they found their treasure? The, The first man finds the treasure and he goes on to sell everything. Next guy finds the pearl, and he sells all that he has to buy this pearl. And you've got to ask, like, what drove these men to act so crazily, crazy? Let not just sell a few things, everything. That's intentional language. It's not being dramatic here. They found lasting joy, and their hearts were captivated by it. They were captivated, and their actions of selling their possessions was because they deeply loved the treasure they found. They... They'd fallen in love with it. Because here's the deal. Jesus wants us to know that our lives are driven by what we love. Our lives are driven not by what we think, not by concepts, not even theology, by what we love. 
the men in the story were willing to give up everything because they loved something greater. Something had their heart. This treasure had them by the heart. Jesus wants us to know that all of our actions and decisions, no matter how big or small, is driven by what we love. Because what your heart loves animates your life. What your heart loves animates your life. Not driven by your concepts, principles, by what your heart wants and loves. So I was... uh, and my, I was going into my senior year of college. I was working as a summer intern with the youth group at Southwood Presbyterian Church in Huntsville, Alabama. And I was minding my own business, playing spike ball all day and Super Smash Brothers and lots of Halo 4 at the time. And uh, then I met this girl named Ivy. And uh, a, lot, a lot changed when I met her. And if you know, uh, you might have experienced this, but during the early stages of relationships, everything is so exciting. Um, there's this sort of like ooey gooey, like I can't stop thinking about you, I can't stop texting you, et cetera, et cetera. And here's the deal. You have found a treasure and you will do anything to be with this new treasure. This is just true. And many of you know, Ivy and I, during our time dating, we dated long distance the entire time. And Ivy was in Birmingham, Alabama, and she was in PA school at UAB, and she had like a packed-to-the-brim schedule, hardly any time. And I would often drive two hours from Huntsville to Birmingham uh, just to see her for like 30 minutes to eat a very quick meal, and then I would drive back. And during this time, I would give, when I would do this, I would give up my time, I would give up uh, time with friends. I would give up my GPA, and I certainly did. Uh, I, uh, I would give up. Uh, people were like, Matt, do you want to do a PhD one day? I'm like, I didn't have the GPA for that. Uh, you can blame my wife. And um, I sacrificed money for this. Um, my heart was captured. My, what I loved most animated my actions, and I was willing to give up all kinds of things. I was willing to give up anything to see her because I desired her more than my friends. I desired her more than my GPA and more than my money and more than having this nice tight schedule. It was made things chaotic during the week. We're driven by what we love. Who or what you love controls you and your life. The Bible gets at this elsewhere. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In some ways, that summarizes our parable. This story, guys, is inviting us to say the least, so obvious here, is to take an honest inventory on our hearts and to ask the hard question, what do I love? What do I love? Because if your deepest desire and what you loved most is performance and winning the approval of others then you will run yourself into the ground with busyness to make sure everyone is pleased with you and you will never rest. You'll never rest. If your deepest desire and love is the high GPA in a beautifully curated resume, then you will give up your time with friends because resume trumps relationships 
and time in Christian community. You'll sacrifice devotional life if you're trying to walk with Jesus, and you'll look back and be like, I haven't prayed in a semester, all semester. This is what happens. Our actions are driven by our hearts. If our deepest desire is to be praised and accepted by others, then you will sacrifice your integrity to gain praise, and the weekend comes around, and you will do anything things that you thought you never would have done because your love and what, you're deep, what you most deeply want is approval and you'll do all kinds of things, right? We give up all kinds of things to get what our heart mostly wants. Because here's the deal. It's one thing to say something about, like make a statement about what you love. That our life really shows us what we love. Our life, our actions shows us what our hearts most want. So it's like many of us, we've had absent parents, moms and dads, who said like, what I most love is my family in being a mom or a dad. But what most of us know is that our dads and our moms loved other things. That's why they weren't around. They said they loved us, but dad loved his job more. He loved success more. And we've been wounded by this because they gave up they sacrificed something for what they mostly loved. And honestly, it's their families. Many of you, many of many, and, and I'm, I'm one of these people. If you want Jesus to be your treasure, your desires don't need to be stagnated. They need to deepen. They need to deepen. They need to be more rooted in Jesus Christ. It's, it's looking around in your circumstances like these two crazy guys and being like, I'm more driven by my desire for Jesus because he is my treasure. I'll give up everything else. Everything else is expendable. You can say crazy things like that when Jesus is your treasure because there is a, there's a, a deepening desire in him. We can stop settling for 4.0s and Fun weekends to satisfy these temporary joys and pleasure with no depth. There's nothing sturdy about it. And it's the, the sort of temporary nature. We know this. It's like trying to hold sand and water in our hands. And we know that it doesn't, it's falling short. It's falling short. But have joy and treasure that lasts. We have to stop settling for temporary pleasures. And we have to root ourselves deeply in our desires on Jesus, how do we do that? Uh, this is the question. We have to have melted hearts. Our hearts have to melt. Do you notice why these guys gave up everything? They're willing to settle or sell everything to have their treasure. This is a really key phrase. It says, I think it's in the first story, in his joy, he did this. Because Jesus doesn't want your service. He wants your joy. He didn't want your, like, ritualistic obedience. He wants your heart. He wants your joy. So I want to ask this. What, if, you're, if you follow Jesus, and this is, this is what you're signing up to do at Wofford, you'll self-identify and say that. What motivates you to serve God? What motivates you to serve God? Why do you do it? Why are you here? My friend thinks there's four reasons, and there's so many. We could, you know, there could be 24 reasons. I think these are very helpful, though. And here's the first one: guilt-driven motivations. I'm, I've messed up, 
and I have guilt and shame, and so I need to clean myself up so God will approve me. Guilt-driven motivations. Fear-driven motivations. We have fear. God's going to punish me if I don't change. Fear-driven. He's going to punish me. Pride-driven. I'm a good person. I am an older brother, not a prodigal son. And this is what older brothers do. They come to RUF. They go to church. So these motivations for serving God, all of those will change your behaviors. You'll stop drinking. You'll stop cussing. You'll stop fooling around with your boyfriend and girlfriend. You'll stop doing those things. It'll change your behavior. Guilt and fear and duty and pride will change your behavior, but Jesus will not be your treasure. None of those motivations can get into your heart and make Jesus beautiful. None of them. And if you let those drive everything you do in the Christian life, burnout is soon to happen. It just is. Because the only motivation rooted in Jesus being your treasure is joy, like these guys, doing crazy stuff, giving it all away, out of joy. They're not earning anything. They're not doing fear, pride, duty stuff. They're not in shame. Their hearts are captured, and they have joy, and they're giving it all away. And this is interesting, y'all. I don't know if you knew this, but joy was the same motivation that drove Jesus' life. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. This is crazy that Jesus had everything. Full of God, fully man, and he gave up everything. Why did he do this? Because of joy. Because of joy. When pastor says it this way, he traded applause for shame. He traded comfort for torture, power for weakness, validation for rejection, life for death. Why would he do this? He gave it away, all those things, because he found treasure. He found his treasure and he's willing to give up everything for it. Do you know? Do you know what this is? The treasure is you. The treasure is you and the treasure is me. Because long before we find Jesus to be our treasure, to be beautiful, we were beautiful to him. We are his treasure. We've always been his treasure. Because Jesus looks at you and you're like, man, I, you know, maybe you're thinking like, well, you, look, Matt, you don't know me. And if Jesus did, he would not give up everything like that for me. The cross is the ultimate exclamation point that Jesus will stop at nothing to have you. And he will give it all away to get you into his arms. You are his treasure. It's his ultimate statement. He was saying, with his life and his death and his resurrection, you are what I want most. You are my deepest desire. My heart, the treasure that I found is animating everything that I do. And everything that Jesus did, every conversation, when he washed feet, no matter how mundane or cosmic in his actions, the desire of his heart was driving. And his heart was you. His treasure was you. And experiencing that, y'all, that Jesus treasures you. 
That's how your eyes are open. That's how your desires are deepened. And that's the only thing that will captivate your heart that will last. And that's how you can have a joy that, yes, the answer is can you have real lasting joy in this Christian life that will last? Yes, it's experiencing him as your treasure. Why? Because he treasures you. And guys, y'all can, people can be in prison. Many Christians have. And they can be in prison singing hymns like the Apostle Paul in their pain and sorrow and worshiping while they suffer. Why? Because they treasure Jesus and they know that they themselves are treasured by him. That's good news. Let me pray for us.